Well, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. You're coming off um, a little break. Yeah, it was it was nice to get away. So left uh, last week, Wednesday, um, headed out to San Francisco. Just spent a little time disconnecting and having a little vacation. So it was definitely good. I think last episode, I, you could probably hear the the stress on my voice. Um, I was, you know, I was feeling just kind of the weight of the job and the duties and felt like a vacation was in order. And it definitely seemed to kind of reset my reset my compass a little bit. I realized that I hadn't actually taken a full vacation where I'm like truly disconnected, leave my computer, you know, in the room and go out and explore the world for like, I don't know, seven months or something. So I tend to do this like where I blend my vacations or I, I take some time away, but I have my computer and I'm always like doing a little bit of remote work. And I don't know, I, I've discovered that that really doesn't constitute, you know, disconnecting for the purpose of recharging. Like you, when you keep your toe dipped in it a little bit, it just doesn't have quite the same effect. So explored around San Francisco, played tourist. I spent a fair amount of time in the city because my wife's family, she has a bunch of family up there. Um, but this time we decided to not, instead of just hitting the usual spots we go to, we just kind of like pretended like we were tourists and did a bunch of GPS guided walking tours. I don't know if you've heard of the app Detour. Mm. Mm-mm. It's a company founded by the dude who founded Groupon, Andrew Mason. They started out in San Francisco, so there's a bunch of these in the city, and then they've they've expanded out to a bunch of other like large cities in the U.S. and internationally. You can link sync up with another person if you're with other people, and it tracks where you are, and so it knows to like stop uh, when you haven't reached the place on the map that the next stop is. And uh, yeah, they're really really well produced. So recommend those that sounds sure. awesome yeah i love uh doing walking tours of new cities yeah it's like my favorite way to get to know a place yeah like we stayed in the mission district and i not explored that area very much i knew it was i knew there was a lot of great restaurants there coffee shops and just kind of it's kind of a, a hopping area these days so we did one and it kind of took us through a bunch of back alleys and areas where there's like now now here's like a whole entire three blocks worth of murals on the walls and you know here's how it kind of walks through the history of the district and some of the you know places where like you know the the population that was there before was kind of fighting back against certain things protesting you know techies coming in and moving into the area i don't know just all kinds of rich history there that i wouldn't have known to explore those areas had i not been on this tour so that was fun totally and even if you had gone there by chance you wouldn't know that there's this story behind it right i would just be like oh wow cool a mural huh you know yeah i did a walking tour in berlin and it blew my mind because the history there is incredible we had a a live guide and he's like and check out the pockmarks in these uh columns those are from shrapnel from bombs that fell on the city it's like you would never have ever picked up on that Uh, yeah there were similar things like like we were walking down this street we did several of these so one this was, one was like on north beach side of the of the city and they were like these odd random iron columns there at one intersection it was like this was where this was like a gate to one of the ports or something like that and now like there was a bunch of infill past that so it just looked like these random like metal gates in the middle of a city intersection and it was like yeah this used to be where a port was so that was just uh, yeah crazy yeah. I love that stuff. That's, yeah. That honestly is my favorite way to get to know a new place. Yeah, me too. Gives me so much more appreciation for it. 
So, so your your mood is elevated. It is. Yeah, I came back feeling feeling refreshed. A noticeable thing. It's always a good test to go away for a while and come back and see what shape things are in. Like, is my inbox totally piled up and out of control? Is it going to take me a week to dig out of it? That certainly used to be the the way things were when when a lot of things were kind of on my plate and I didn't have a team to to rely on. But coming back, it was noticeably like not that bad. Um, it's always a little bit when you come back from vacation, but it was definitely not as bad as it used to be. And I feel like it only took me about a day to kind of get through the backlog. So that was encouraging. Yeah, obviously the app didn't burn down while I was gone. So <laughs> and I knew it wouldn't, but so that that was good. And we talked a bit about yoga before. It's like something that you know, I should be getting some activity and exercise and I've already gone twice this week and I think that's already helping. So, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like the cheat code for happiness. Yep. I'm often shocked at how little it takes. Mm -hmm. Like just a couple bouts of exercise makes a huge difference for me. Yep. Totally. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling, I'm feeling better. (laughs) I'm on the roller coaster. It's an up week. (laughs) So good, good, good. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. What kind of yoga are you doing? Um, so I usually do what's called deep vinyasa. And it's the kind where it's not like super hot in the room. There's hot vinyasa also, which is a really popular one offered by the the place I go to, where they crank it up to like 110 in the room and it moves quicker. So this one is a little bit slower movements. And the goal is to keep your eyes closed the whole time and just kind of like stay in kind of deep focus mode. Um, That's interesting tweak. I think I would like that. Yeah. I definitely get distracted a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like having my eyes closed would help. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, he always says, like, you are, you're your best instructor. So I'm giving you, you know, we usually go through like the the progression of, of poses or whatever several times together. And then there's a period of time where you're just kind of re- doing reps, repeating it over and over again. And he's like, even if you, even if you get off and you, or you forget what the moves were, as long as you're doing something similar or if you're skipping, leaving out a step, like it really doesn't matter. Like, don't get in your head about it. Just kind of keep going. And so, and when you, with your eyes closed, you don't feel that pressure. Like, oh my gosh, am I, am I matching everyone else in the room? You know? Totally. So. Yeah. It's very easy to get lost comparing yourself to other people and be like, wow, I'm terrible at this. Yep. Yep. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I've never even heard of people doing that. That sounds great. Yeah. So it's, it's good. And then we also do, we occasionally do yin yoga, which is just mostly stretching. Yep. And that's good to, to mix in <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. A friend of mine described yin yoga as like napping in a classroom with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like structured napping. It's like, all right, now nap in this position. Now switch to this position. Right. And I, I definitely, when I look around in there, there are some people who are so flexible that like, they're like, put your legs out and fold over. And like, they're like basically flat like a pancake on the floor. And I'm like, yep, that person could fall asleep. Me, on the other hand, I, it's like actually somewhat of a painful experience. <laughs> I'm always pushing myself to the limits because... I'm 6'5 and not super flexible, but but I think that's the only way to get more flexible is to just force yourself to do it. So Totally. Yeah. Like most things. Yeah. How's uh, Dripland? Dripland is good. Um, there's actually uh, some company news this week that I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. So it was just officially announced today, this morning. Well, it was announced to the company yesterday at an all-hands meeting and then... Um, went kind of public today that Clay Collins, founder and CEO of Leadpages, uh, is stepping down from the post. And our COO, John Tedesco, is uh, is kind of succeeding him in that role. So it's a pretty big step in the company. Leadpages, for those who don't know, started out 
back in, I believe it was January 2013. So actually around the same time Drip began. Clay is essentially a, a marketer who's like, he's very voracious about learning kind of the latest marketing trends and and things that are working. And he kind of hit the market at the right time with with his landing pages product and, you know, kind of infused all his knowledge of best practices into the product, which is part of the reason why it was such a big success. Um, and it really took off. It had a lot of early growth. Um, it took off really fast. But it was, you know, it was essentially Clay's first software company. And so it was, it was interesting to hear. I think he did a really great job kind of with self-analysis when he was giving the announcement where he basically was, was like, here's a list of all my firsts that I've experienced. You know, this is my first software company. I you know, had not really hired a team before this. I had not raised funding. I had not, you know, da 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 And so he had a lot of a healthy amount of like self-awareness and was able to recognize that like at the point we're at, the revenue level we're at, it's like time to bring in someone with more experience to the helm to really bring the the company to the next level. So hmm. that's yeah. gotta be hard to step away from. Or maybe not. I mean maybe he's was feeling the pain himself and was ready for that. But I could see how it would be difficult mentally to be like, okay, and now I will take this thing that I've grown from, you know, nothing and hand it off. Right. One of the articles he mentioned when he was kind of discussing his thought process was um, the Founder's Dilemma article. Are you familiar with this one? Published in the Harvard Business Review back in 2008. It's a pretty popular piece by Noam Wasserman. And I think that's where the the rich versus king dilemma was kind of proposed first. And others have talked about it. Jason Cohen from WP Engine talked about it when he when he discussed why he sold his company. And like the premise behind that is like, you know, based on studying a a large sample size of American startups, your likelihood of optimizing your equity value is to actually step aside as the founder and let more experienced management take the helm earlier. It is possible to both have a valuable company and to be the one at the helm, but that is a rare exception. So usually you have to choose which one you're optimizing for. You're either optimizing for control and sacrificing some potential growth or equity value, or you're optimizing for wealth and sacrificing control. I think it's an interesting mindset thing to be like, to be self-aware and know what your goal is. Like, is your goal to be the captain of your own company and retain full control, knowing that odds are you're going to be leaving some value on the table? Or is your goal to like see this enterprise grow beyond your capabilities? Um, Mm. and I think, I think that certainly factored into his thought process and it's, it got me thinking, I'm curious if you have thoughts about what you in your entrepreneurial endeavors want to be optimizing for, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It's not really wealth, honestly, that's never gotten me super excited at the same time. Like I've read that Jason Cohen article and he's like, he's having burritos with someone like, what do you do when you're eating a burrito and the person across from you offers you so much money, you never have to work again. So I haven't been in the situation where I've had to like make that choice. But just from my own self-awareness, from what has interested me so far, the wealth part is not that interesting. I'm, I'm fairly frugal naturally. And so I've generally had more money than I needed. Wanted is a different question. But you know, like I'm certainly fine. I do very, very much value time though. Uh, and, and freedom. And this, this is actually funny. This dovetails interestingly into an article I read yesterday. So this is uh, this came across my Twitter feed yesterday. 
uh, by Jeff Goins. And the title is Don't Build a Business Because You Want Freedom. Mm, yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> Do tell. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I clicked into it and uh, this guy was building a consultancy and they're hitting it about a million dollars a year. And uh, he's starting to feel more and more stressed. And uh, he reaches out to Seth Godin, who was apparently someone he admired. Well, first of all, I love this is a beautiful illustration of how awesome Seth is as a person, which is he sends Seth an email. They've never talked before. He's like, here's my situation. I'm totally stressed. What would you do? And Seth's response is, call me and his phone number. I just love that. He's just so generous in that way. And like, what a person to just respond to a stranger that way. He included a couple quotes from his conversation with, conversation with Seth. And one of them was, don't build a business because you want freedom. Build a business because you want to run a business. And that really struck home for me. Where I was like, yeah, that's, that's a great way to think about this. There's an extent to which I think I value freedom more than running a business. And I, I had been thinking of like the business is the ultimate freedom. And I think that's a very common thought. Uh, like when I tell people, uh, oh, yeah, and I, I left my job uh, two months ago. They're always like, oh, congrats. That's amazing. You have the best job in the world now. And I'm like, well, you know, sort of. Um, so th- this, this article sort of hit, caught me at a perfect time where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing uh, and internalizing the fact that in a way you are giving up freedom to run the business. Like the truth behind why we start businesses is that I think the, the source of freedom is wealth, right? Like having... Like Jason talks about this, and I, and I, I like Jason's perspective because I know he's not speaking as someone from a perspective of greed, but he's like, let's be real. There's a freedom line here where beyond a certain point, I don't have to work another day in my life. Therefore, I can allocate my resources the way I want. I can allocate my time the way I want. I mean, to me, that's the actualization of gaining freedom by means of a startup is by, you know, obtaining a sufficient level of wealth where your your time definitely doesn't correlate to dollars anymore and you're free to to do do what you please do you feel free right now i'm not entirely financially free like i haven't crossed the freedom line i'll say that jason talks about interestingly i get, i do feel still ambitious to to get there like i don't i don't feel like the time has come for me to coast in my career yeah, I still have a fair amount of ambition. Like I like I have it in me to go out and tackle that and get and see how far I can get on that trajectory. Yeah, see and and that difference, that distinction I think is important because I don't think the ultimate freedom is a lack of ambition or like you know I don't I don't think that ambition will go away. I can't picture being like, "Oh, now I have X dollars. Now it's time to just sit on a beach eternally." I think that's sort of like the the fantasy that people expect to have happen that in practice doesn't really work out. I feel like you see this over and over in like retirees, for example. Like they just, it turns out having a purpose and having structure and a thing to do is actually really, really good for you. I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical of the, the ultimate freedom of not needing to work for money as being that good. Like I already feel like I don't need to do work I don't want to do for money. You know, like I, I've found a career I love or like, ta- like, tasks at least that I love. And so I'm pretty happy to keep doing them and the money keeps coming in, but it's not really for the money in a way. Yeah. I think that's another important thing to to bring up. And Clay mentioned this when he was kind of discussing his thought process is like the parts he enjoys most about startups is thinking about product, thinking about markets, thinking about how to solve problems for people. And 
he basically, I mean, he had this this clarity of thought where he said, like, you know, I realized that building a company like this, you have to not you have to not only be passionate about the product, you have to be passionate about building the company, which is the organizational structure, the management layers, the way you get different teams to work together and communicate. And there's a there's a whole other side of it. And if that is not your what you love to do. And I can honestly say, like, like knowing John, our CEO, now new CEO, like that is his that is in his um, definitely in his wheelhouse. Like he he loves to be operational and think very strategically in that regard. And so he's he's a great fit for the position. And Clay, you know, realized that, you know, that's just not him. That's, that's not what drives him. And I think I, I mean, I feel similar to Clay in a lot of ways where like the, the part that gets me most jazzed is to be creative, to be a maker, to build product. And so, you know, as I think about like a future company that I may start, like I could certainly see removing myself from, from the top leadership position. I don't know at what stage it would happen, but, and I keep coming back to Jason Cohen because I'm pretty sure this is the model he's followed with WP engine, um, which by the way, he started after he already had his life-changing amount of money right so he didn't go retire um right exactly and step back into the ring yeah and he's he's not the ceo of wp engine you know he's i'm pretty sure he has an individual contributor role where he's like still writing some code and stuff so but he's the founder and he owns a big chunk of it so he's still you know getting those benefits but he's he's basically doing the work that he really loves to do and also gets to be the founder of the company i feel like that's that's the best of both worlds. So, you know, life goals, life goals. <laughs> yeah, it's good yeah. to be talking and thinking about these things because I think there are a lot of variables that you can tweak that people often don't think are variables, right? You can you can design your company and your role in the company to a pretty high degree, I think. You just have to think about it and realize that I don't have to be CEO or I don't have to build a giant company. Like this person in that in that article that I liked decided that what he wanted to do was scale down. And they let a handful, a bunch of people go and let some clients go and then decided, I want a team of three other people and we're going to be super small and boutique and we're going to focus on just profit, not growing revenue at all. And that now he's like less stressed and happy and likes what he's doing and yep. things are good. Yep. I think it's it's important to break outside the mold of feeling like like if you're the entrepreneur, the founder of the, C- of the company, that you need to be CEO, you need to have be making, be in control of all the decisions I mean, it's probably for some people, it's an ego thing. Other people, it's just a a control issue or whatever. But like, I think it's an important realization for founders. Like they talk about this in the Founders Dilemma article where like a lot of them are just adamant that they must be because they're the ones that envisioned the the V1 of the product. They must be the one to run the company that sells that product. And it's like it's important for founders everywhere to get outside of that mindset and and feel like you're not you're not sacrificing prestige or any of these other things by demoting yourself or putting you know replacing yourself with someone else like it no often that's the best thing for the company and it's the best thing for your maximizing your own wealth so yeah you you might be though i mean to the to the layperson like when you say i'm ceo everyone goes ooh wow that's that's fancy but i think that's one of the the things you have to sort of ignore I think another aspect of that is this is another manifestation of that hedonic treadmill where like your business makes 200k a year like now I want to make a f- I want it to make 4 and now I want it to make 8 and you just every level that you reach feels like you know normal and then you just want the next one 
And it's so easy to just get stuck on this idea that more growth equals better, more people, more money, all that. That's like a never ending, like that you're, there's always going to be a a bigger number. So if that's what you're always looking to as your goal, then you're going to, you're on a path to burnout, you know? Good philosophical discussion. Yeah. This is, yeah. I I didn't realize how much this would get my wheels turning, but as soon as, you know, kind of Clay gave his talk and then this, I've just been thinking through this Founder's Dilemma article. It's like, it's really good food for thought, I think. I mean, it's, it's what, it feels kind of lofty to be thinking about, like, uh, you know, if you're just starting, you're one person starting a company, do you really need to be thinking about like your goals for when your company is really large? But I, I do think it's important. It's an important mindset thing to get set early on. It's like, what, what are you optimizing for? And that can be kind of your guiding, uh, you know, your set of guiding principles as you make decisions. Yeah, totally. I love that. I think thinking a, a couple of years down the road and saying like, do we want to be 20 people or do we want to be three people or do we want to max, which, what numbers do we care about maximizing and what what kind of personality do we want to have? Yeah. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you have more, more stuff or you want me to no, take it over? No, I think I'm ready to hand it over. What's, what's going on in right. the, uh, the course? Well, first a couple of uh, little like admin things one is that you and i uh, were on startups with the rest of us this week or at least we recorded it that was pretty fun been listening to that podcast for a while so being on, on as a guest was awesome so i think that won't come out for a handful more weeks but we'll we'll drop a mention when it does i love you gotta say being a guest on a podcast it's just the nicest easiest thing it's like so little like i did basically no prep it's just like you just show up and expect someone to ask you questions that make you sound interesting yep <laughs> it's yeah, That's Rob awesome. is a good is a good interviewer uh, host to to be with. I always feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, he did him. he did a nice job yeah. uh, hosting. And uh, speaking of that, by the way, if you want me on your podcast, just uh, let me know. <laughs> yeah. I'm down. There you go. Um, so that was fun. And then uh, I got my finally got my health insurance situation squared away. Nice. A classic to do item where it had been hanging over me and hanging over me, and I was expecting this horrible process, and it turned out it was like actually totally fine. Okay. What did you end up doing? I cheated a little bit, I'll admit. Uh, So I had my assistant start the process for me, which is like, you know, research some things and like help me pick one and then get the application started. But that wasn't apparently that much work. So just honestly, like the part I did was I went to the the website. She's like, here you go, like, go here. And I fill out a form with not that much detail. And they're like, okay, uh, you're approved. Your insurance starts on this date. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So so done. You mentioned this assistant. Where did you... is is this a VA or where did you find this assistant? No, she's a, she lives in Boston. Uh, I posted on Craigslist. I've had very good Craigslist luck in general. I, I wanted someone that was uh, local and in person so that she can do like in-person type tasks. Cause I find that really valuable. Like I, I, I really dislike Aaron D type things like go to city hall and get the permit for the, whatever It's like, Oh my God. So I, I wanted someone that could do that for me. I pay her 25 an hour, but I don't use that much of her time. So it's like not really a big deal. So you're not, are you locked into a specific amount of time every week or is it just basically flexible? Nope, totally on the fly. So she has a day job. So she fits me in. I think she has one other person she does this for uh, just sort of around the edges, but that's fine. I don't generally need stuff during the day, like evenings and weekends are fine. And it's been, it's been wonderful. Honestly, I, I extol the virtues of having an assistant to a lot of people. Almost no one ever does anything towards it, but it's been totally worth it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rob's always been a proponent of outsourcing things and you know especially in business having vas and stuff to do menial tasks but i feel like the yeah stepping up to an assistant even at your early stage is 
seems like a, an intriguing idea. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. Like you said, stepping up. It's like funny. People think of it as like this big thing or this fancy, flashy decision or something. And it's it's just really not. It was one Craigslist post and, you know, I square cash her some money every so often. And it's like no big deal. But I, I think it's actually this whole uh, freedom versus wealth writ small where it's like I'm trading a little a little bit of wealth for more freedom and I'm, I'm happy with that exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So yeah, health insurance, good. And yeah, core stuff. Uh, published a new video last week on speeding up slow test suites, or at least I published a um, sample of it and got a, ni- a couple nice emails about it. Again, someone said, I think this is the best yet. You're hitting the pacing and the, t- the timing and the explanation was all good. And I didn't, you, you didn't lose me throughout the explanation. So I, I do feel like I'm kind of getting in the groove good. even more, which is nice. You feel like um, your time to produce yeah. is is your time to produce a video decreasing as you get in your groove? It the, uh, it is a bit. The part that I'm noticing I'm getting better at is actually the editing. It still takes me a while to to create the content, to write the code, and to record it. Those are all just time consuming, but I am getting better at recording in a way that I can edit quickly. So when I mess stuff up, I know how to back up and repeat the last sentence and then pick it up. And that gives me an easy edit point. So it sounds natural and the breath is still where it's supposed to be and, and all that. Yeah, nice. And I'm using Final Cut Pro now, which is just has like some slightly better affordances for editing stuff. So I'm using a slightly better tool. And yeah, so there's some, some just small optimizations. It's still laborious. <laughs> it's still, I wouldn't call it fun, but it's nice to get it done. And I'm working right now on video five, which for me psychologically has a really nice feel to it because it's like, okay, if I'm going for 10, then after this, I'm more than halfway done uh, or I guess halfway done. So it's like, it just, it feels good. Something about five feels a lot better than four. So I can't wait to ship this one. Speaking of hitting the groove, I'm stealing an idea from Gary Bernhardt. So I saw him uh, live stream a practice run of one of his upcoming videos. And I'm going to do that actually today, later today. Ah. Oh, I think I got that promo email. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't emailed it, so that would be surprising. Oh, maybe not. Okay. I thought you mentioned Might it somewhere that you were doing a live stream. No? Uh, I tweeted about it. Okay. Maybe it is a tweet. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I am going to email uh, people on the list. So you, you, you will get a promo email. Okay. Maybe you were just telepathic right there. <laughs> yeah. I have gotten some good feedback from people where they're like, oh, this would have been a nice thing to mention here. And I'm like, that's true. And I'm not going to go back and edit that because it's just, it's just a little bit too annoying to, to cut stuff in. But I do think it's really nice to get some fee- early feedback from people. And so I'm just going to straight up copy Gary and do the same thing. So he, I'll stream the thing. Hopefully, even if, if there's just a handful of people there, get some feedback on what parts worked, what parts were confusing, and then roll that feedback into the video. And then probably take that video down after not very long because it'll cannibalize some of the core stuff, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But I, I think that'll, that'll be a sort of a nice middle ground of getting feedback in a lightweight way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We almost mentioned Adam every episode now, but Adam Lathan does his, uh, does his live coding sessions uh, with his new app, Kite Tail. And I'm, I've yes. dipped into those a few times, and I'm like, this is really cool. You know, I feel like anyone yep. who's like wanting to see the, the sausage made can can check in and see an experienced app developer going through their thought process and you know it's just, yep totally it's a cool thing it's a uh, great like uh sell your byproducts or not quite sell it but you know mm-hmm. get good use out of the, the things you're doing anyway right technique right it's your sadist so, yeah, I, I love it <laughs> yeah exactly i've been thinking basically about two there's like two numbers that i care about right now i think 
One is like videos produced per week, and the other is new subscribers to the list per week. And I'm hoping this live stream thing will help the second number without impacting the first number. Yeah. Mm, I like that. So yeah, get a little metrics behind it. Yeah. So so yeah, I I will naturally like mention, hey, by the way, if this looks cool, mailing list, I will know next week uh, if if I saw any bump in new subscribes and things like that. So I'll mention that next time. And then the last thing I have is a marketing idea. I talked about this on Startup to the Rest of Us, but we're getting the early scoop because AOP will come out first, which is, I, I realized that I think a really effective way of marketing this course is to go and do basically a Ruby meetup tour. Yeah. So there are all these regional Ruby meetups. And in my experience, they're almost always looking for speakers because it's just, a, it's a pain to find a speaker every month. Uh, and so I think I'm going to basically rent a car or fly or something, but to try to just line up, I don't know, a whole bunch of these uh, over the course of a month once the course is launched and just have a talk that is on the same topic, roughly. Not, not the same, you know, it, it won't be the course just in a talk form, but it'll be, you know, a similar idea and uh, use that as, as basically lead gen. And now you can say, like, I've done my nationwide tour, right? <laughs> you could be like, I'm <laughs> exactly. on tour right now. <laughs> I'm on tour. Yeah, exactly. And I think it'll be fun. I'll get to do some travel and it'll probably be net profitable travel, I think, um, because I can I imagine I'll get some immediate sales, but also most meetups that are of, of larger size will record and put a video up on their website. And so it's just like it does it does a lot of nice things. And also, I haven't been as active in the or almost active at all in the Ruby speaking scene in a while. So it'll just help get me in people's minds again. Yeah. Well, we you should definitely come out to Minneapolis. We don't have the biggest I would say not probably not the biggest Ruby meetup. I don't know if we post videos online, but it's some, usually somewhere between 20 and 40 people who show up to our meetup. So, you know, a fair amount. And I know they're always soliciting people to give talks and stuff. So sure. Yeah, no, I, I would love to come out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I've never driven around the country very much. I think that could be kind of cool. So I, there's, there's something romantic to me about driving around. We'll see. Yeah, we uh, I drove from California out to Minnesota when we moved and hit a bunch of states i'd never been in and saw stuff and it was it was cool like there's a lot of the country that's you know admittedly like lots of cornfields flat <laughs> flat lands with corn but you know it's it's still cool to hit different spots when my dad was younger he drove uh his motorcycle across the country with a friend mm-hmm. of his nice and he said if you're going to drive across the country from the east coast fly to colorado and then drive the rest of the way it's <laughs> basically what we said the fly like states. once you leave the east coast the middle's <laughs> a little so-so yeah yeah it it may be that it makes more sense to just fly to individual places but yeah we'll see to run the numbers and and all that but i'm I'm excited about that idea i like it it's like it's it's social and fun and i think it'll work and i just it just has all the hallmarks to me of something that i want to do yeah i think it'll i it'll one promote your course two it will get your name out there to even more rubyists and just overall like build up your personal brand a bit and you know you're obviously good on the mic good on the stage and so i think it's you know people are going to be impressed with what they hear and i think you'll make a bunch of new connections so i think it'll have even if it doesn't like lead to you know a ton of direct sales or something i think it's going to have a lot of other like less tangible benefits so yeah i'm trying to decide what if it makes more sense to give this talk and then be like by the way i have this course like if the next step it makes sense to use is like 
here's the mailing list with some free samples if you want to do this. Or like, by the way, you can go here and buy it. Here's a discount code or something. I'm not sure what makes sense, but I guess I'll probably just test both as I'm doing it. Yeah, seems like a pretty good like split testable uh, thing to to do. Thinking about doing to- talks again or um, even just marketing in general, I realized that I have been screwing up for years by giving talks and not including some sort of pitch to go to a page that I own to join a mailing list. Like I have all these talks on YouTube that are owned by like con freaks or Aloha Ruby conference or whatever. I don't control them, but they're very popular. And there's nothing in there that drives people towards some sort of way that I can communicate with them. And like my mailing list should be like five times as big as it is because, you know, I've just been doing this over the years, but instead I just kind of blew the opportunity. So tip for all speakers, like add even just a really short plug. Like, by the way, if you like this, I have a newsletter that goes out every six months or whatever, but just see if you can capture some percentage of those people. So I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who see your stuff, they'll Google you and they'll end up to you somehow, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, like optimize. Yeah, I think the most I, I almost always would like mention what my Twitter handle was. And mm-hmm. so that, that helped with like Twitter audience growth, but that's right. not nearly as good as email Emails. subscribers. Yeah. So totally. so I think that's it for me. Cool, man. I think that's it for me as well. Okay. Well, hey, it was good talking to you. You too, man. Awesome. If you want to access the show notes for this episode, including links to the stuff we talked about, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com and we'll see you next time.